Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hello, David. And I'd like to welcome the wisest hockey fans in the world, the people who listen to the Cult of Hockey podcast. We're lucky to have this group of listeners. Bruce, today we're going to talk about the Oilers draft record. And you know what? I was just looking at the Oilers draft record, and on a certain level, it's almost impossible to talk about this because we just don't know. Yeah. We still don't know. Like we're all, everyone in Edmonton was excited about, uh, you know, Evan Bouchard. But how excited were we about Kyler Yamamoto and Yessi Pugliarvi? And both those players, we were a lot more bullish on them a year ago and way more bullish on them before that uh, in their draft years. And so we have a couple drafts. Um you know, 2017 on, let's say, last three drafts where we really, you can't really say much. Yamamoto hasn't trended well, at least not last year, but Sam Rukov and Maximov from that year are. And it's just really hard, I guess. That's my first point that I want to make. And this is the problem in evaluating scouts. You don't really know how they've done. You can have a guy on staff for five years and he looks like he's been a horrible failure. But then all of a sudden pop one of those players becomes a really good NHLer, And then another one does. And then another one does. And suddenly, suddenly he looks differently a few years later. I mean, Hawk and Anderson, the famous scout of the, of the Red Wings, there was three years in a row in the mid 1990s, Bruce, when the Red Wings got nothing three years in a row, nothing out of those drafts. But then that's sandwiched on the other end of that is like Zetterberg and Datsuk. And before that, there's a you know all kinds of good players. Litany of superstars, you know, Lidstrom and Fedorov in the same draft. Yeah, and Holmstrom, is that his name? (laughs) That he got forward there for Detroit, who was so good, and all all kinds of other guys. So, three years in a row, though, they got nothing. Yeah, well, you talk about how excited we were. I mean, how excited were we for Jim Playfair, right? And now he's now he's now he's an Oiler again. So hey, maybe it's gonna maybe that pick's gonna pan out after all. or uh Peter like, yeah yeah Kim yeah yeah frankie larue you know there there was lots of lots of players uh, anyway uh, uh i think we're now at the point david we're looking down the the fullness of the list that it's deeper than i can remember okay here's i think, I think yeah. we do have uh, collected by various means not all drafts but mostly drafts uh, a, a, a pretty a uh, reasonably tantalizing group of close to 20 players, I, I think, at least have a chance. It's, Bruce, so we've been uh, at the Cult of Hockey rating the draft picks since you started it, I believe, in 2011. Yes. And you did kind of an all-star, like the the top five guys in the, the next I, f- five. Uh, all-star three teams, teams of six three teams of six goalie two That's d right. three forwards and after that from about 2012 to about uh i think jonathan willis was writing for the for about five years with the cult mm-hmm. and you and you and he and i voted mm-hmm. uh most of those years and 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 we've expanded the voting and this year uh we were lucky enough to have jim matheson the uh veteran uh colleague my veteran colleague hall of fame reporter <laughs> for the edmonton journal um, participated and he voted uh, Sean Patrick Ryan, who does absolutely outstanding work rating prospects in the OHL. Kurt Levins, yourself, and me, we all voted. And um, without giving away who finished first or the, the ranking, because we're going to be rolling that out over the next next month and writing 
right. profiles, detailed profiles of the top 25 players. For the, for the first time, Bruce, when you look at the, the, uh, the players who are rated first, second, and third um, in our prospect series, the guy the owners took number one overall, Philippe Broberg, he isn't in that group. So what that means is that, that there's real depth at the top and that the also, you know, the, one of the reasons the guy wasn't, the, the, the uh, first pick was always rated usually first overall is because the guy rated taken first and rated first overall the previous year was in the NHL. Yeah, it was already off the prospects list yeah. and in the NHL list. So that uh, almost always happened. This is the first time where you have guys who are taken with first picks, mm-hmm. uh, Bouchard and Yamamoto, who are still prospects, who haven't yet been rushed into the NHL, although Yamamoto was kind of rushed in the NHL, but then rushed back out of the NHL. But they're still prospects. They're still seen as prospects on our list. And um, so Broberg, he, he didn't shoot right to the top of the list, which ha- has happened all the time. So that shows right there, there's real, a different kind of developmental path, at least, for mm-hmm. our top prospects with, with uh, Evan Bouchard. You know, I think they handled the Bouchard situation pretty well last year. Yeah, Darnell Nurse, he'd be about the last one. I, he was certainly in the top three, if not second. Seems to me he was... Um, Second, uh, he would rank behind Clefbaum his first year, and Clefbaum had been in the team for a while, and then he ranked behind Drysaitel, and then he ranked behind McDavid, who were you know just the latest examples of new first round picks. But they actually kept him on the prospects list for three straight years, which is rare. But what we're looking at on on the list at the moment is a number of players who've been in the organization for two, three, four years, and a, a cluster that are just turning pro. Uh, now are going to be, you know, uh, becoming presumably Bakersfield Condors uh, in the 2019-20 season, and who knows? I mean, maybe they'll they'll be in the NHL partway through the year. But there's... Well, how about this, Bruce? William Logason, mm-hmm. he's been on. This is his sixth year on the list, mm-hmm. and and the good news is he's he's trending up. And Ethan yep. Bear, his fifth year. Caleb Jones is fifth year on our list. Yes. So finally we're in this weird position with the Oilers and I, I don't think it's really sunk in, but there's some good young defensemen who deserve to be in the NHL or real shots at the NHL and Jones, Logason and bear who have been developed essentially the right way. They've been left mm-hmm. to over and right over ripen in, in the junior hockey and in the AHL and in the European leagues. And it's the first time that's happened. Uh, that I can remember in such a long time with the Edmonton Oilers. Do you, do you rec- when was the last time? I maybe in the early two thousands, some guys like um, Stoll and Horkoff kind of came up through the minors. Yeah, but yeah, I mean they I mean, weren't they weren't top first round picks, so so neither kind neither of a equation. Bear, no, this neither is and Baron Jones uh, either. So this is true. Yeah, we're, we're, we're so Tyler Benson's like people thinking, well, he's not really. He's not really right, ready for the NHL. I, I hear that. But, you know, this is his fourth year on the list. He's yes, had three years. Now, some of those were injured. So, I, injury of the years yeah. for him. But he had a fantastic year in the AHL. You know, it doesn't <laughs> – when you look at the history of forwards, Bruce, uh, mm-hmm. coming out of the um, AHL, you don't need to be in the AHL two or three years if you're a forward who's getting a point a game. It doesn't seem to help you become a good NHLer. If, you, if you've had that kind of year – as a 20-year-old in the AHL, the really good sign, you're ready for the NHL. Like, there's not a better sign. 
And um, you can keep him there and you might have another really good year, but it's not apparent to me that it makes you any better as a player. You're already the player you're going to be as an attacker. And it's time to, it's time for Tyler Benson to make the Oilers. If he's going to be a top six NHL forward is the truth of the matter. And the same probably goes for Cooper Marodi. If he's going to be a top six forward in the NHL, it's going to be, you know, he, he had that great year as a 21 year old is going to be now. So Yeah, well, he's legitimately uh, close, Tyler Benson. I think, you know, no matter how you cut it, I mean, he's deservedly up near the top of the the prospect pool. Uh, But, I mean, that's one class of players. Uh, Benson, Jones, uh, uh, you mentioned Ethan Bear, Marodi, Yamamoto, that have now some pro experience that should be percolating up to the, the top. And then you have that whole other layer of guys. I mean, this year, both Evan Bouchard and Dmitry Samarkov are going to be playing full-time uh, pro after dominating the OHL last year, both of them. Uh, and that's a couple of exciting prospects to add. But the good news is that because there's a layer of guys above them, there's no reason, unless they absolutely crush it and make it on their own merit as being too good to hold back, uh, then great. Uh, but it's not like, well, they got to get them in there because there's nobody else. Well, we got rid of uh, Andre Sekera, so we got to put a 19-year-old kid in there. Uh, they have 21 and 22, and even as you say, William Lagason, what's he close to 20, 23 by now? 23, yeah. Uh, and you've got, uh, you know, layers of, of options. And, in fact, where moving out Andre Sekera and creating a roster spot Breaks a logjam. I mean, those guys have been down there, and they've been looking up and saying, geez, that's that same top six we've been looking at for the last three years now, and they're still there. How the hell are we ever going to get a chance? Well, now they see that chance. So I think that's sort of the the silver lining on the Andrew Sakura buyout cloud. They, they had to do it, Bruce. They had to move out one of their veteran demons to, just to, mm-hmm. as a normal part of development. You mm-hmm. can't keep saying to Jones and, and Lagason and Bear, like, oh, maybe next year. Like, you yeah. could say that up until now, but this is the year yeah. for Caleb yeah. Jones. He's ready. And Lagason, I think, is in the same boat. Like, Close, yeah. It's time. Like, I think it's actually time for William Lagason in, in that either he will be an NHL player, Bruce, or he won't. But another year in the AHL really isn't going to make the difference for him. He's mm-hmm. had that. Like, either he can do it or he can't. Like, mm-hmm. he's at that, that point in his career where he's got he's to show what he's got. And maybe he doesn't have it. But another year in the NHL is not going to make a difference for him, I, do, I don't believe. And, um, you know, frankly, the same goes for Ethan Bear. Um, does he have it or does he not have it? We'll know. Like, we, you know, I don't, I, I'm guessing with Lagos and Bear, it's a bit more iffy. With Jones, I'm pretty sure that he does. But they're ready um, to give whatever they have as the NHLers. And another year in the AHL is not going to make a difference for them in terms of being pro players. Bruce, I would say one more thing about the draft list that we're looking at. Like in past years, like players like um, Ryan McLeod and mm-hmm. Raphael Lavoie, I think would be right near the top of our list, like second mm-hmm. round draft picks who are quite promising. But they're they're if we even had such a player, but yes, yeah, they wouldn't we're be. in the we're, they're kind of in the teens now. You know, they're 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 in this kind of second rung of pro- and this is another sign finally. So I I mean. Shirelli deserves, especially for this last year of work as GM, like all kinds of criticism. Like he just was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Maybe throughout, like obviously throughout, there was ter- some terrible moves. Except for his first year, he, he did okay. 
give or take the Griffin Reinhardt trade. <laughs> anyway, to give him some credit, he is he's the person who put in place the scouting staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems to have, and again, we don't know how Bouchard and Yamamoto and Broberg and some of these guys are going to turn out, but seems to have done a pretty good job assembling um, some depth in the in the uh, Oilers prospect pipeline. So it's kind of a relief, like to have this finally. This this looks like a real NHL franchise with a future in terms of graduating players to the NHL, finally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, graduating to the AHL, I mentioned uh, Bouchard and Samarkov. Well, I also have coming through this year, Kirill Maximov, uh, Ryan McLeod, again, turning pro. But the whole idea of... of uh, promoting people is that you have to also make space for these young guys on the minor league team. You can't bury them on the third defense pairing and fourth line because there's other guys, too many guys ahead of them that are, that are stuck in place. So ideally you have some guys coming in, some new talented kids moving into their old spots and, uh, and plenty of ice time for everybody in, you know, in an ideal world. The same goes at forward, Bruce. So, so let's say the Oilers don't yeah. graduate any forwards. Let's say, so, so yeah, the, exactly. the Oilers have uh, on their farm team from last year, there's uh, Tyler Benson, Kyler Yamamoto, Cooper Marodi, Joe Gambardella, Patrick Russell, uh, and Malone, Russell and Malone being older players. But there's a number of players there and who Curry, should be challenging. Josh Curry. And Josh Curry, who should be challenging for NHL jobs this coming year. Mm-hmm. And if a couple of them don't make it, well, then what opportunity is there for Maximov and McLeod to get the playing time on the second line and on the power play units, the PK that they need in Bakersfield? A couple of those guys have to make the Oilers. Yeah. They've got to, for, for the, the system to function, yeah. you've got to graduate people. So now it seems like there's almost this reverse, well, we can't rush players. So that means Tyler Benson uh, should make it. And we can't, the Oilers never get anything good from the farm. So we can't count on Gambardella and Russell. But actually, you, you have to count on one of Benson or Marodi making it and one of Gambardella or Russell making it, other, or you just clog things up so badly that your system's not functioning properly. So we could go in the opposite direction. Yeah, there's got to be a payoff. I mean, la- last year we had very little coming out of the farm, and, and it, last year was an investment year at the minor league level. Uh, so many guys in their first year, I mean, Marodi and, and – uh, Benson both made the all-rookie team, yeah, uh, and they had uh, Shane Starrett, uh, who's an interesting prospect in his own right between the pipes. Uh, but they had to uh, 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 now this year they've got those guys with that one year under their belt or two years in the case of uh, Caleb Jones, Ethan Bear, uh, some of the defensive group uh, that they're much closer to being ready and you know it's hard to say at this point it's going to be this guy and that guy i mean we can guess caleb jones tyler benson but what you need is one guy from this group one guy from that group one guy from the other group as you basically pointed out yeah off this prospect list that we've put together i would i would like to see three guys Mm -hmm. make the oilers and of course patrick russell and malone aren't on this list but so, but I would include them. So, out of, out of all those guys on Bakersfield and all their prospects, three guys, I, I, I think that would be a sign that the system's working, that they're clearing space in Bakersfield, that they're developing them properly in Bakersfield, and that the owners are getting what they need from their farm system. 
that's a pretty good haul if you can get three guys uh, on your team, especially if one of them or two of them eventually move into your top six forwards or, you know, or top seven forwards or top four D. But Benson and Jones um, have that potential, I think, to to be that kind of player who, who move there. And if one of them does, then that's been a good year of development because you need every year in, in those key 12 positions on your team, number one goalie, 4D, seven forwards. You need one new guy every year. So um, the orders, I'm not saying Jones or Benson have to be that guy this year, but they have right. to move into that eventually. And Right. Um, well, I think that's one thing that, that's maybe uh, a little different is that there won't be the expectation of the new young kid to not only make the team, but to make the t- first line. Well, there or, is with a forward on huge minute play, huge minute. Well, yeah. That, 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 so on defense, you're right, Bruce. Yeah. On defense, you're right. Jones makes the team. It'll be on the third pairing. Correct. And that's really good, isn't it? Like well, how, and how we have not seen that in a decade with the Oilers, right? Where that guy was, you know, we, we probably the last saw it with maybe like Tom Gilbert coming in and they had a fairly deep team. So he could, he was, or wasn't expected to be in the top four, but he was, <laughs> well, they had a pretty right, good but... D there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was know, one of them. The, yeah. And he was one of them. They had, you know, in 2008, 09, they still had a fairly good defensive unit, um, which they frittered away. And, uh, but you're right. So, so Jones is coming in in a kind of an ideal situation where he should be playing bottom pairing minutes or Lagason. The old mm-hmm. person um, will also be competing. It's a little tougher for Benson and Yamamoto and Marodi because if they show anything right in preseason, mm-hmm. it's going to be boom. You're on the top line, boy. You know, get her done. And uh, how does that work out usually? You know, the, the ideal thing for Benson, like, so I think when, when I talk about Benson being ripe, what I mean for, he's ripe for making the third line, okay? Yeah. He's ripe for being, and Cooper Marodi, he is ripe to play on a third line mm-hmm. with, in the NHL. Both these guys, Yamamoto might, like if he hadn't been injured, we might be saying the same thing, right? Because he, he, he did well in the AHL last year when he wasn't hurt. I think he's got a shot. So the, these guys are all ready for the third line. Just the problem is the Oilers have two massive holes on the, on the uh, in, maybe more than two, three massive holes in their top six. And... Um, so the second one of these guys, no, maybe that'll be okay. Maybe Tyler Benson's going to be able to slot in maybe, and play with uh, McDavid or a dry settle. But man, I just, I hate even, it's kind of like I had a little uh, vibration in my chest saying that <laughs> a tremor of fear because we've, how many times have we seen that frack? Mm-hmm. It's just been a disaster. Yeah. Disaster with just the fact that that job is open and, and a guy like Jesse Pulley apparently thinks he should have that job and is dissatisfied with the orders because mm-hmm. he didn't get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the problem right there. It should, if there had been veterans players there, he, he wouldn't have had that thought in his head. And he would have thought, maybe I'll stay in Europe for a year and develop properly. Yeah. Well, I can't get past last year when they had the, the, the big, huge gaping hole at right wing. And they had in the preseason, uh, um, uh, Ty Raddy, Kyle Yamamoto, Yasupol Yarvi scored 15 goals in the preseason. 15 goals in preseason. And the same three guys combined to score nine goals in the regular season. I mean, that's, even by Oilers standards, that's kind of off the charts. I mean, there only was, what, eight exhibition games and 80 regular season games? And, and I thought, Bruce, for <laughs> sure one of those guys. At the end of preseason, I was thinking, okay, 
what are the chances all three of these guys are going to just duff it? But that's what happened. And I'm still a little bitter, honestly, yeah. about what happened mm-hmm. with Iradi. I think he was mm-hmm. on his way to being a 15 to 20 goal scorer in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then he got hurt, mm-hmm. bumped off the top line. And of course, they got to get Leon back there. And then Hitchcock comes in and he's got no time for the player, really. I, I don't think he was right. his, his cup of Well, he's on his way now. He's on his way to Yaroslavl. Going to yeah. join uh, Craig McTavish's team. And I understand that McTee was always his big booster in the organization. Mm-hmm. He was yeah, always yeah. the guy that went to bat for Raddy and wanted him signed and, and mm-hmm. thought he could be a player. And I think uh, from what I saw, McTee he could have been right. a player. And, I, and I just wish he could have had more. Little, you know, just I just have this sense that uh, just if a few bit better puck luck, better luck with injuries, then he would have made it, but not to be. So let's just let's just end off, Bruce. There's um, <clears throat> the final layer of of uh, prospects when you get you know past uh, uh, when you get to like below fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and we, we mm-hmm. go all the way down to the the mid thirties. Mm-hmm. There's some interesting players in there as well, and um, there's particularly there's a couple. Uh, there's Konovalov, the Russian goalie. And two American defensemen, Kemp and Kesselring, mm. who are both um, in uh, U.S. college hockey. Yeah. Next year is Kesselring. Next year has he got another year in the USHL? Uh, I think he's just going now. To uh, I'm not sure. To... Both of those guys, Bruce. What do you, What do you think of those? You know, we'll be writing about them, but um, that's another. Like, if someone said to me, "Do you think Phil Kemp?" What are the odds of Phil Camp or Michael Kesselring being, let's say, one of those two being in the NHL three years from now, one of those two or four years from now? And I would say it's a coin flip. I think one of those guys is between between one of those two guys, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a decent NHL defenseman in kind of the Matt Green mold if, mm-hmm. if there is that kind of player still in the NHL, if there's a job for that kind of player. Um Maybe there isn't, but that's the kind of that, that. That's how they project their big, tough, right shot demon. Not not fantastic skaters, but they really smart. So there's some prospects there as well as what I'm trying to say. I guess yeah, Castle Ring's going to Northeastern this year. Okay, uh, after two years in the USHL or a year and a half, I guess in the USHL. Last year he had a way better second half than first half. He got traded partway through the year. And I know he really grabbed your eye in uh, uh, Billy Moore's Cup, and he grabbed my eye all week. All week, and last year, same thing. Both Kemp and Kesselring just struck me as being, you know, these are long shots, projects, years off. But guess what? They've got a few years because they're going the NC2A route. Now, the sad fact is that on our rankings, uh, the bottom of it is cluttered with NC2A type uh, draft and college um, prospects that are kind of spinning their wheels down there. And one of the things I want to do is I want to look at the past years and see where the NC2A players stack up on our ratings compared to other players. And I think typically there's a lot of them at the bottom. And typically those guys are at the bottom for a reason because they didn't turn into anything. Yeah, we had some high hopes for for players like Graham McPhee. Um, Mm -hmm. John Marino kind of went... He kind mm-hmm. of went sideways. He didn't get better. Yeah, um, exactly. Apley Rassen and McPhee just both went down. Matt, mm-hmm. Matthew Cairns is yet to 
can right. do much. So there's yeah. a lot of players that we had a little bit of hope in, kind of like what we have now for Kemp and Kesselring, and instead of trending up. Uh, but, you know, by the time Michael Kesselring gets to the NHL, Bruce, he's probably going to be about as tall as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I was just going to say, he's pushing seven feet now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> On his skates, he is. <laughs> He's, he's, he's almost Chara big, man. Like he's big. He's was mm-hmm. the biggest player at the Oilers dev camp and he moved very well. So good. Oh, that's, Castle Ring. That, that's the thing. Like he, he, uh, he can move and he's, uh, uh, his stick isn't uh, an anti-magnet to pucks. Like sometimes you see with, uh, some of the bigger clumsy guys, especially ones still growing into their bodies, but he and the puck were on good terms. It was nice to see. He, he was the, uh, the, the surprise of the camp and uh, a very pleasant surprise. And, and, and I, I think I tweeted at the time, like if someone, if you didn't know any of these players and you went to the, you went to the, the that day's uh, uh, rookie game, the three on three game that he had in the, and someone said that big tall guy out there who's scoring all the goals and making all the plays. He's got a bit of grit uh, and hustles like hell. He's, he was the order's first pick this year. And if someone had told you that and, and you didn't, didn't know anything, you, you would think, Oh Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That kid can go. He's a player. So uh, now someone, a few people objected when I said that, and they said, no, he's too slow. But um, that's how I saw it. Like, I, I mean, he, he, it's not like he was like a rocket ship out there and that much better than everybody else, but, man, he was good. So a uh, little promising indicator for Michael Kesselring. So, Bruce, um you're going to be starting off the series, and uh, yeah, we're going to look at the depth guys. Uh, you know, beyond 25, which uh, we got about a dozen guys that we're going to just do brief synopses of. Obviously, uh, uh, we're not really forecasting NHL futures for anybody in the bottom third of this list. Uh, but at the same time, uh, just sort of an update on who they are, where they played, and what they did last year, where they're going to play this year. Uh, what you know how far out they are in terms of how many years before they even enter the picture in some cases um so those will just be briefer uh, as we've traditionally done every year and uh then we'll start with our countdown at number 25 and uh work our way up eventually to number one all righty and as i say bruce for for this on the players on this list uh it covers about five orders draft years and so what we need to see is five players on this list become in those uh, uh, big dozen positions on the NHL team, your number one goalie, your top 4D, and your top seven forwards. So we need five guys on this list to eventually become that. And when I look at this list, I think this is a, it's not a bad bet. It's not a terrible bet. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. And, um, and I, I I just want to go back just quickly. I'm going to go just look at the 2012 list and see if they got five players on that list. And if my internet was working, I could quickly give you an answer on that. But uh, Jakubov, Schultz. There we go. Uh, they would have been go back. They would do, have been let's just too. do one of these lists. Oh, there's going to be a little bit of pain here, Bruce. Okay, Neil Yakupov at number one. Yep. Oscar Clefbaum. So they got one. There's one. Okay. Okay. Yep. Justin, Justin Schultz. Schultz number two, uh, Clefbaum was three. Justin Schultz was number two. So they got two. Schultz and Clefbaum, but not for the Oilers. Schultz. So the Oilers. That's a fail, I guess, for the Oilers. Garnett, Marinson, Pitlick, Musil, Reader, Buns, Tubert, Roy, 
Dylan Simpson, Curtis Hamilton, Mitch Moraz, Alex Plant. That's the rest of the top 15. And that's, that's a whole lot of pain right there for the Edmonton Oilers. Not, not one of those guys became for Oilers or for any other team. Um, big dozen players, top yeah. 12 players. Toby, next, Toby Reader was, I mean, he at least became an NHL or at least third line. Yeah. On other teams. <laughs> Here's the one that really is the killer. Number 16, Eric Gustafson. Oh, man. Um, you know what? For where he was coming from, that's a high ranking. That, that is. Like, we, we did have him sort of tagged as being a decent prospect. Like, he's not number 30 or 25. Uh, you know, he's behind the sort of high draft pedigree guys and right there. And uh, I know... Um, Young Willis and I saw him at the development camp, and we both were very impressed. And that's ancient history now because the orders changed GMs, and the new guy didn't sign him. And now he's got, you know, he got 60 points last year. 60 it's points. Disgusting that sure, like, talk about a mistake oh. Charlie made. Like, it pales in, like, in some ways, the Reinhardt trade pales in comparison to not signing Eric Gustafson. Yeah, and I don't know if that was him or McTavish at the end. Like, who? Who, who didn't make the call because it was kind of right in that moment where he... It was McTavish who didn't uh, sign Gustafson. Okay. Because that uh, was 2012 that he was on the list, right? Yeah. R- rounding out the list, Daniil Zharkov, Jujar Kara, Brandon Davidson, Kyle Bigos, Taylor Fadun, Sammy Perhonen, Antti Tervainen, Philip Cornet, Chris Vandeveld, Abney Arcabello, Iwanek, uh Connor Jones, Pels, Rahala, Boomigan, Byers, House, Laligia, Martindale, McCarran, and Tuomaya. A goal. I, count, I count five guys in there that had some kind of NHL career. But not just one guy, Bruce, mm-hmm. on that entire list is mm-hmm. with the Oilers in a top 12 position. So mm-hmm. there's three guys. Schultz, if we had just kept Schultz, Gustafson, and Clefbaum, I, yeah. I'm not going to swear, but I really want to swear. We would have better offense from the defense. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this is the story of the Oilers. Mm-hmm. And the number one guy, of course, didn't pan out either. Right. So, uh, Nail Yakupov. And they just, on this new list, they need to get it right. They need to get five guys off that list on the Oilers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and it's and we can see it's it's a really interesting balance. You got to draft right, you got to develop them right, and you also have to clear out players on the on your pro roster right to give them space in in the right role, not thrusting into the top line or the top pairings, but into a role third line or or bottom pairing where they can advance. So it's this very careful balance, and you know what? I think Ken Holland might be good at this part of the game. This might be something that he's pretty strong at. So I'm looking to hope that Dave Tippett is as well. That uh, he's got a good track record of of uh, of uh, especially with Dallas. Yeah, and and just with uh, uh, developing players deeper in the team. That uh, uh, that uh, at least provided his, you know, a, a good competitive base to his team. I mean, the Oilers' bottom six in general needs work, and, and uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of different approaches as to how to fix that, bringing in pros from other leagues and and so on, but also 
just this feeder system that's got to start paying dividends, as you say. Last year was kind of a fallow year. This year can't be that. It's interesting. You know, I think they have the right idea. Like, they, they realize that, of course, they have these terrible holes in their top 12 players. They're missing um, probably one one defenseman right now. They have kind of a stopgap in Chris Russell um, in the top four. And then they – and and they're missing two or three forwards – three forwards from from their top seven that they need a three c and two two wingers but it to give them credit they they're trying to fill with some europeans Pearson and um gaitan haas and Joachim nygaard and so so they're that might prevent them from thrusting benson you know into a position like with nygaard there maybe the pressure will be on nygaard in the top to, to make it on the second line and and that's less you, you know you're not you're not crushing the confidence. He he's a he, Nygaard's not going to get any better as a player. It's now or never, and he's he has no more development to do really as a no. as a hockey player, except as an NHL player. But he doesn't need time, I don't think, in the minors. He's 26, so he, he either he's going to be an NHLer or he's not. And I, I like filling with that, making that kind of bet, especially a guy who can skate fast, as opposed to uh, thinking Benson's going to get it done in the top six. Well, you got to have competition in there. And I mean, <clears throat> ideally in a perfect role, as we've discussed in another podcast, uh, you find a top six winger on the NHL market somehow, trade or UFA or whatever. But that's been uh, a slow starter, shall we say, to this point. But uh, Maybe Justin uh, Williams is going to be signed here. <laughs> yeah, well, at least they have, you know, they do have layers of competition in the sense that they have uh, uh the fourth liners who are here already, uh, the top veteran line in Bakersfield, you know, the Patrick Russell, Brad Malone, um, uh, Joe Gambardella, Josh Curry types who are, you know, prime of career, then some who are at least in position to compete for a bottom line. Then you got these new Europeans. Well, so you've got layers of competition, hopefully, it won't turn out like last year's right wing competition where everybody looks great in September and then falls off a cliff on October 1st. <laughs> Man, I'm uh, sick of that movie. Okay, I'm going to do one last thing, Bruce, before I yep. sign, we sign up. I just want to look at Eric Gustafsson's years in Sweden. Like, how the heck did that happen? So was there no indication? So he's drafted in 2012, and he's playing in the... They always change the name of their leagues in Sweden, like the SEL, yeah. Sweden 1, Swedish Hockey League. I think he's playing in the top league then. I'm not sure, though. And he's kind of got seven points in 41 games when that year he's drafted, 93rd overall. So that's a fairly – it's not like he's in the top 100 picks. Um, hell of a draft pick, whoever made that pick. And the next year, yeah. he's playing for the same team, and it looks like a different league. It looks like they might have dropped the league. Yeah, I think the team, Drew Gardens, actually yeah, got dropped, dropped to the Allsvenskan. So then he gets 23 points in 49 games, kind of in the AHL version of the Swedish hockey system. The next year, he's with Frölunda in the top league again, and he gets 20 points in 50 games. And mm-hmm. then he's with Frölunda again, 29 points in 55 games. That's when the Oilers have got to sign him up. 29 points. He's like 20, what, 21? Yeah, he was already, yeah, I think 20, he was already gone by then. 29 points in 55 games, 2014-15, you think? I think they could have signed him that year, Bruce, like after that year. Like, 
Yeah, well, they wound up in Rockford and then Chicago the, next the very next year. Yeah, I think it's in March. I think it's after that season in Philando that he signs in Chicago. Yeah. We can Google it, or uh, yeah, we can, yeah. we can find out quickly. But that's there was there. So it looks like he was developing well in Sweden, um, and should have been should have been signed after his, you know, when he was twenty. 20 years old and it was well he was he was 20 when they drafted him don't forget <clears throat> he was a he was a mature draft choice yeah. uh, so he should have been ahead of the curve at that point but uh whatever happened it uh, it didn't get done you know even in chicago he played 41 games his first year over here and then the next year he spent the entire year in rockford and even the next year he spent the first chunk of the year in rockford it's only in the last year and a half that he's been a full-time nhler but boy has he ever blossomed so Bruce, he was signed April 30th, 2015 oh. in Chicago. So he had that really good. He's if you he, so he's drafted when he's 20. He's 22 years old. He has a really good year for Ferlanda. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't sign with the Oilers. He signs with Chicago at the end of it. And you know what, Bruce? The Oilers just lost a player, Evan Poli, to the St. Louis Blues. I understand he signed a contract, oh. uh, pro contract. And and uh, Stoffer's comment was, well, good for him. He got a pro contract. He should have got a pro contract in Edmonton, Bruce. You know, I, that was his money sitting on the table. Like, he's got a 30% chance, I think, of being a useful bottom line NHL player, but maybe a really useful one. And a big, tough winger who's, who really took off last year in development, uh, with, who can skate. Fa- he's, he's a fast, straight-line skater and a little bit of skill. And why the Oilers didn't sign that guy? Maybe he didn't want to sign with the Oilers. I don't know, but I don't like. And maybe there's something I don't know about him, something they didn't like. But I wish they would have signed him based on his play, based on what I saw of him last year in Bakersfield. I don't get that, and I think that was a mistake. Um, and I wonder if he's somebody who's kind of slipped in between the cracks of the of regime change, like Gustafson did, perhaps. Eh? Oh, well, he was on an NHL contract uh, with Edmonton. Or sorry, with Bakersfield, and so he's um, uh, uh, Sean Day was in the same boat, and the Oilers did sign Sean Day, and of course I would pick Paul over Day, and then of course they did re-sign several veterans from Bakersfield. So it's not like the Holland came in and and ignored what was going on down there, but obviously a decision was made on uh, Poli, and uh, another team valued him higher. And I, wish, I remember. I wish him well. I like him as a player. Early on, Stoffer sent, sent a signal that Poli was not going to sign with the Oilers. And was mm-hmm. he was never talked about. Like, they talked about who was coming back, and he was not on the list. I think that was a signal. It was right after the season. I couldn't figure it out because he had played – I thought he played quite well in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, – so who knows? Maybe they just made up their mind. Maybe there's, they didn't want him, or maybe he had made up his mind. He wanted to try somewhere else. So that, that can happen, too. Like, if, uh, there's choice. Players can choose to sign or not to sign, right? right? So uh, it's not always management's fault, but um, yeah. but for guys on AHL contracts, I got a little more freedom, you know. That the the team doesn't have uh, restricted rights on him the same way as they would on, uh, say, Joe Van Bradella. So, so they're t- they, the clock must have run out with the Oilers on Gustafson in 2015. And yeah, I said, well, because he was a 20 year old draft, I think they had a two year window to sign him, and they didn't. And then he had a good year in Forlunda and Chicago, nabbed him right away. Rats, 60 points. 60 points, 17 goals, 60 points. Not that the Oilers need a good point man on their power play or anything. 
and what he what does he earn? Probably he's on his one point two million, I think, for this upcoming season. Mm. Then he's a UFA. Yeah, then he's a UFA. So he'll get eight billion dollars a year. All right. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> thanks for talking. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading, everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.